Well, we've been talking about John being the forerunner, the one that would had come before Christ to point the way to Christ and how we are meant to sort of mirror that in our own lives. We are also called to go into our world and actually draw attention to Jesus Christ. But today, the, the, the message is about actually how do we introduce people to Jesus? Now, straight away... If we base it on, on, on our, our motivation that we've seen the last few weeks and how ready you're, you're willing to move and sort of be excited about things, I think we've got a picture in there. We can go to the picture. Oh, okay, so we'll just hold, while, while we're getting to the picture, um, the thing is, so I'll, I'll, this is probably not the one that we're most excited about. When we go, when we come, who here is honest that they love telling people about Jesus? Okay, how many people have spoken to someone about Jesus that's not in church, that's not in their family, that is not, um, that they know is not a Christian this week? Okay, for some of us, we get to the point, um, and because like, like if someone came up to you and went, like, this is how some of you are probably not feeling when we come to this topic. Like, are you that excited when it comes to talk about Jesus? Like, if I sort of said, guys, we're going to quit the sermon right now. I want you to go find someone and talk about Jesus. I reckon some of you are going to stay for an extra half an hour for morning tea. Like, uh, that'll be your sort of motivation level. But today we're going to be talking about how to tell people about Jesus. And for those who have been part of our engage groups, if you've missed out and you want to catch up on this, I've been finding a really practical look at, I suppose, understanding and a perspective but also some practical ways of understanding how we can impact our world. And so the thing is, with this, we, we get to a point where we go, oh, it's not me, I can't do it, I don't have the words, um, there are better people that ignore me, I'm not a good Christian, don't have a good story, and all of a sudden we, we have a list of reasons not to tell people about Jesus. Um, like, and the thing is, we, we probably get to the point going, well, my list is bigger than your list, and so I've even got less reason to tell people about Jesus than you. And what we are forgetting is all the reasons that we should be and that we do have to tell people about Jesus. Like the fact that he has saved us, the fact that he loves us, the fact that he did all the stuff on the cross for us, the fact that he basically has come to set us free to live for now and for eternity, the fact that he come to give us peace and love and joy and hope and purpose. That's just a short list of why we should be. And so today, I hope you get excited about how we can learn to tell people about Jesus. Okay, so back to the PowerPoint then. So just hold that feeling today. I want you to hold that feeling. I'm so excited, I can't wait. Okay, not for the end of the sermon, for what you can go do after the sermon. And again, not morning tea, as you leave the church. Think of that person that you can share with. And again, like, you've actually got people in, in, in this building right now who are actively inviting their friends to stuff. Okay? We've got some of our young people who are doing a fantastic job of bringing their, their friends into a collision course with Jesus Christ. Okay? Our young people are doing it and we should be showing them how. And at the moment, I think some of them are probably going to be showing us how of, to connect with their friends. So we've got people here doing it. We've got no people that are talking with their, their people in their workplaces and their family. So let's, let's all get on board with this. So, so going back to um, where we're sort of heading down in this message, the book of John starts in a bit of a different place. 
So um, the, the passage that, was, that Danny read for us is part of chapter 1 and um, normally in the other chapters like um, Matthew and Luke they kind of started with the, the birth narrative and so Jesus was born and we have the story of the angels and the shepherds and the wise men and all those things that happen around there. Mark basically starts around about this point as well but John starts in a, brand, a totally different place, not brand new but a totally different place because he starts way back before the beginning, in the Word was the Word, and the Word was with God, the Word was God, and basically saying, in before the world was created, Jesus Christ was there. So kind of establishing Jesus in a different picture. And so, and so John then switches, we read through a few verses, he switches from before time into actual time. And so you see there's this dialogue that John's having with the crowds that are coming to see him and he's preaching to them and he was basically saying, no, I'm, I'm not the Messiah, I'm not the one. It is my job to point you to the light. He was, he was even actually saying, I'm not even the light, I'm the one that points you to the light. Like, because I, I, I can't really shine in this world. The one who's coming after me is the one who will truly shine. And so John was sort of doing that. And basically... What we see in this chapter 1 of John, we see John the Baptist is getting ready for this really humongous moment of Jesus, being, um, Jesus coming on the scene. And so he's preparing the crowds. He, he basically, um, he, well, if we looked at this passage, we, we see a clinic that John the Baptist puts on of how to tell people about Jesus. So if you've got that picture in your mind before, John's really excited. John is really excited. He can't wait to show us how to tell people about Jesus. And this is the thing, again, um, who those who have been part of our GoFish study, everyone has a platform to speak to someone in their lives about Jesus Christ. Everyone. And one of the things that uh, this passage picks up is, I go, maybe some, maybe our, some of our understanding about sharing our faith. Because um, some of us, I think, we think we need to tell someone about Jesus. They will basically fall to the, through their knees, the light, sky will open up, light will shine down, they'll become a Christian. And we may not think that, but we think there's going to be this automatic response. And if there's no automatic response, we think, oh, I failed, I'm a terrible witness, I'm a terrible evangelist, I'm not doing this ever again because I failed. The thing is, even John the Baptist actually took his time in actually pointing people to Jesus. And as you look through before and after in this passage, you'll actually see John with his disciples saying, and they says, the next day. And then the next day, and then the next day. And John would say something else to his disciples to draw attention to Jesus Christ. Or to actually one day actually say, see that guy over there? That's him. That's eventually where John gets to. But John takes his time, even with people that are seeking the truth, to actually work through that. Now, we may not have the next day. It might be the next month we have another conversation with our friend. Um, the next sort of um, time we catch up, we, we talk about Jesus again. Or like it could be a, like a really long period of time. And so it's, it's our journey to, to walk with them till they get to a point where they, we are constantly bringing reminders of Jesus Christ to them. But basically, as we look at this clinic that, um, that John is sort of running first thing he does is actually make some thirsty. So now, again, by that title, some of you might, brains might go in a whole range of places. What I mean is to actually is to create a desire for them to know more of. He's not going to make them run around the church 20 times and say, okay, now that you're thirsty, let me tell you about the living water. Um, and you can't have any real water until I tell you about the living water. Like, um, it doesn't work that way. 
but John actually made a thirst. Because there's the old adage that says, you, can't lead a, you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make him drink. Um, and someone actually sort of said, but you can feed him salt. Oh, you can feed him salt. And, and, and all of a sudden, as soon as you have salt, like, um, you, you want to drink more. Have you ever gone somewhere they've got pretzels and nuts out on the, on the, so that you'll go buy drinks? The pretzels and nuts are free. Drinks are really expensive. They're creating a thirst in us. And we see it a lot of different ways. Like We get thirst created for lots of different things. New iPhones coming out. And so for months before the new iPhone comes out, there's ads on TV. And the ads will show people that are living life to the full and like living with purpose. And all of a sudden their life makes sense. And they're so popular and everything. Their clothes sort of match and it's all cool. And so for months before, they're basically saying, if you want a life like that, Get an iPhone. Well, we've got to do the same thing, not with the iPhone, but with Jesus. We've actually got to create a thirst. Now, one of the things we create a thirst for Jesus is with how we live and how we experience life, how we actually face trials and tribulations. Because if you wake up in the morning and then between that and when you go to bed, what I call Caleb quite often, if you act a, like a bit of a cranky pants it doesn't make people thirsty for what you've got if you are someone who complains about life all the time or reacts real badly to situations oh I don't want to go near that Christian because like yeah they um, yeah they're not really nice to be around when things get tough or maybe the thing is if they looked at your life they would go I'd have no idea that this person was following God at all. Okay, so that comes back on us. If we are not living in a way that creates a thirst for people, well, that's the first step. Because we can turn around and actually start using our words. Remember, words have power. We want to use our words to tell people about Jesus. And if our life doesn't match our words, all of a sudden, we get to a position where they don't hear our words. So we've got to create this thirst. But John actually... Um, um, Colossians 4, 6, it says, Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you should answer each person. So we don't want to turn people off. We don't want to, um, we don't want to become like a Christian that sort of like goes, tells them everything we know about Christianity in five minutes. Let's just tip the bucket over their heads and let them absorb all of the things I know. It doesn't work that way. Sometimes that sort of slow, step-by-step -step process of, of releasing information is the way to go. Like we do the same with plants. You don't just go, I'm going to, yep, I'm going to empty the dam into my plant today and I'm going to leave it for three years because one, you'll probably kill it in the first instance and then it won't survive when, as soon as the water runs out. We've got to do things over time. We've got to make them thirsty. And we see John make them thirsty in this way in um, uh, 126b and 27. It says, someone stands among you but you don't know him. He is one coming after me whose sandal strap I am not worthy to untie. So again, we, last week we looked at this idea that there was one greater than John coming and this sort of um, emulates on that. But John, actually, these people that they were talking to were his disciples. They thought John was pretty great. And John was here saying, hey, there is someone who is coming, I'm not even worthy to untie his sandals. Now there's a bit of a cultural understanding there because often what would happen, servants and slaves would carry the shoes of their masters. Now, John was actually saying, I'm even a 
I'm less than a slave for the guy that's coming after me. I'm less than that because I'm not even worthy to untie his shoes, let alone carry him. I'm not even at a slave level. I'm lower than that compared to how great this guy is coming. Now, you can see the those disciples sitting there going, wait a second, John is, is pretty all right and he's actually let us be his disciples and so we actually feel pretty cool and pretty privileged that John's letting us sort of hang out with him. We're, we're cool by association um, and he's saying there's someone who's coming that's way better than him. Creates a thirst. Maybe people come in your life and they're looking for answers for something and all of a sudden, hey, if you really ever want to know, I've got someone who's an answer to all your problems. Leave it at that. Leave it there. Do you want to get to a point where um, you, all of a sudden you sort of go, oh, hey, this is how God has helped overcome something in my life. I was really struggling with this or doubt or, or hope or, or purpose and, and Jesus has worked wonders in my life and, and all of a sudden now I've, I've, got, I've got a way forward. And people are going, you know what? I, I want a way forward. I, I want hope when I wake up in the morning. I want a reason beyond making money and, and, and having to provide for the kids and, and having to sort of show up and sort of meet the expectations of everyone in my life. I want something that's beyond that. And you're telling me there's a, there's a reason to go on beyond that? Okay, well, I'm, I'm, I'm starting to get a bit interested about this. So, so John continues to sort of basically create that, that thirst amongst the disciples and the people that he's there. Um, he actually talks about a need in their life. And one of the things that's really important when we, when we realise that we are sinners, we actually realise that we need something outside of ourselves to save us. So sometimes our sin will make us thirsty. Our need, whatever that need, whether it's that we're really stuck in sin, whether it's uh, like a, something that we want, we want self-identity, we want um, purpose, we want something that sort of goes beyond ourselves. Whatever that thing is, that creates a thirst within us. And all of a sudden, when we become aware of our thirst, all of a sudden you crave the thing that will finish, fix it. Now again, we, we can try and fix it with lots of different things. We, we all get stuck in that thing. Like, um, have you ever been home at 8 o'clock, 9 o'clock at night, and all of a sudden KFC or something flashes across the TV, and you, you get that craving, and you go, I'm not going out, I'm not going to go buy it, but what have I got in the fridge? And you end up eating four or five different things to try and get that, rid of that craving. We do that with life at times. We actually sort of try and meet a need with something that won't, can't meet our need. Oh, if I just have an extra relationship, if I just have some more money, if I just get a promotion at work, if I just have this, like that brand new car, that Holden car, oh no, I bought a Holden, like, oh, like, um, so what, whatever you sort of search for to actually sort of fill that need, it's actually going to come up short and you're still going to be thirsty. So we need to create the thirst and so then basically what we need to do is actually start leading to a point where they know what to drink from and know what to do. Uh, and so we actually need to tell them about him. We actually do need to tell them about Jesus. We can't just go, hey, you know what, I've got a lot of hope in my life. I hope you find out why. Like, like in, in, in heaven we're waving across, did you find the answer? No, I didn't. You never told me. I missed out. Like, 
But John's not pushy about it. He's actually very careful and he's having these multiple conversations with the disciples to, to basically um, create uh, tension and, and create thirst. And we actually come to verse 29. It says, the next day... So I had one conversation saying there's going to be one coming. I'm not even worthy to untie his sandals. The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, here is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Now, the first thing... John taps into two needs here. So his audience is very aware of what he's saying. He uses the term Lamb of God. Now, Lamb of God was basically the, the Lamb that was sacrificed on behalf of the people to take away their sin. But it was, it was, a, it was a Lamb. It only sort of did it for a period of time and then he had to redo it. He had to redo it and redo it. And here basically, so, so John had brought up that idea and then he explained that Jesus actually came to take away the sins of the world. Well, that's a lot bigger than it usually is. Like, um, and that actually taking away the sins of the world, not just covering the sins of the world, not just sort of making it look a bit better, actually taking them away, all of a sudden this lamb could actually do something more than what was promised. Like what was expected, I suppose. And so, again, so all of a sudden they've had a thirst created and all of a sudden they look and they go, here is the one who is the answer. Here is the one who can do the thing that I'm needing in my life. Um, we actually pick up in, in verse 30 then. It says, this is the one I told you about. After me comes a man who ranks ahead of me because he existed before me. I didn't know him, but I came baptising with water so he might be revealed to Israel. And so um, what we see in, the, in those verses is that basically John was again pointing and drawing attention to who Jesus was and, and how great he was. Um, he didn't just make Jesus acceptable or tolerable, he made Jesus this, he actually put Jesus in a proper perspective. And so what is he doing with this? Well, he's, he's actually describing what Jesus can do for them, and that becomes a really important thing. We, actually just not, we can't just say to people, okay, you need Jesus because of this, and, and basically leave it there. Again, we actually need to describe what he can do for them. Uh, and that becomes a really important thing, because I think sometimes as Christians, again, our understanding of what Jesus wants to do for us and what we have let him do for us are two different things. Jesus wants to give us freedom, but we, we're happy to be in prison. Jesus wants us to feel joy in every area of our life. I'm happy to be miserable. I'm happy to be sucking on a lemon. Like, we get to that point where we're, we're happy if, if, if our faces puckers up and sort of, when we sort of face life. But Jesus, we, we actually need to understand what Jesus came to do for us. And understand that he can do those things for us. That becomes a really big key because I think sometimes... Even for us, we don't believe Jesus can actually fix, address, transform, change the problem that is. And sometimes we are that problem and we might need to transform or change us. But the thing is, we don't even believe that Jesus can do it. It's not that we don't believe Jesus is great and powerful, but uh, it's just not that great and powerful. But we, again, we see in, in, uh, in John chapter 1, in verse um, 32, and John testified... I saw the Spirit descending from heaven like a dove and he rested on him. Now, again, some of you may have read that verse a lot of times and went, yeah, that's just sort of something the Bible says. And, and, but there is some real significance about this. Now, you jump ahead 
three and a bit years after Jesus died, rose again, and we see the Pentecost. And the Spirit came down, and from that point on, the Spirit was upon everyone who believed in Jesus Christ. Up until that point, the Holy Spirit would come and rest on one person at one time for the purpose of achieving what God achieved. So we, you read through the book of Judges and the Spirit came upon this person to do this. The Spirit came upon Samson. He was able to rip down this wall, do this. And so we see the Spirit moving in a singular way. But that was really significant because they basically would see God's anointing on that person and they would follow that person and they believed that person could achieve God's will for them at that time. And so when John said the Spirit came down on him, he was basically saying God has made this person ready to do what God has said is going to happen. All of a sudden it was that Jesus, or they didn't even know that name yet, that this guy was going to be able. And I remember a song, it's probably an old song now, but because I heard it when I was young, I still think it's a newer song. And it's a very simple chorus. It said, he is able more than able to accomplish what concerns me today. He is able, more than able, to handle anything that comes my way. He is able, more than able, to do much more than I could ever dream. He is able, more than able, to make me what he wants me to be. And again, I think that's where we've got to get to in, in our faith, where we actually believe that Jesus can do what he says he's going to do. If he wants your friends to know him, he can do that. But he might want to use you in that process. When you say, oh, my friends will never want to talk about Jesus, will never want to hear about him, will never be thirsty for Jesus, you're actually saying, Jesus, you can't do that. It's like last week. When we say, well, I want control over my life, by default we are saying, I am greater than you, God. When I want control, I know better than you, God. Well, the same is true today. When we say, when we are inactive in our faith, we get to the point where um, all of a sudden we're saying God can't do what he says he will do. But John is understanding that Jesus can do these things and he actually takes it a step further. So he's told them about Jesus, he told them what Jesus can do, but then he actually sort of comes from a personal point of view. And this is where we can actually make such a great, great impact in our world. John tells his story. He tells his story. He doesn't actually go into a theological lecture saying, well, well, what we believe is what Jesus has done here and, and God was here and God did this and, and this means God isn't using a whole lot of big terms. John told his story. See, people can argue with facts and dates and whether something is true or right or not, but in our day and age, people can't argue with your experience story. And this is what John said. I saw the Spirit descend upon him. I heard the Lord say to me, this is the one who baptized with the Holy Spirit. And then in verse 34, he basically says, I have seen and testified that this is the Son of God. I, it's not I read this in a book. It's not that I heard about this from someone else. I saw it and I'm giving you testimony right now that this actually happened and this is who I say he is. And so our story becomes so important in that. Our story becomes... And each one of you have got a story about what God has done in your life. Who believes that they've got a story that they can tell about what God has done in their life? Okay, so this is where you kind of go, arm goes way up 
like here is like you're not sure. You're kind of following everyone else. Going, everyone else is putting their hand up. Like, are we giving extra money today or something? Like, um, do we vote to finish early? Like, it's, no. It's it's it's. Do you have a story to tell about Jesus Christ in your life? Because all of us do. And if you don't believe that, then it's going to make it really hard for you to go out and tell someone about it. You imagine starting that conversation. I want to tell you about Jesus. I'm not sure, but I think he's done something in my life. It's not like if you, if you go up to someone and you're selling a product and you go, do you know what? I want to sell you this brand new TV. It doesn't work very well. I'm not sure how it works, but um, do you want to buy it? There's going to be no confidence there. Make sure that you are aware of your story. Now, practical take-home homework. Some people are already doing this in, in other and in small groups and stuff like that. But go write out your story. Go write out what Jesus has done in your life. And then as you remind yourself what Jesus has done, one, it strengthens your faith, encourages you. It actually may even excite you. You might be going, I can't wait. Hopefully you get to that point. But then all of a sudden when friends come along and they have a, maybe it's a certain situation, you go, do you know what? Wait a second, God did something like that in my life. Wait a second, I could could tell them about what God did to overcome in that situation or God helped me. And again, some of you are uniquely positioned. Some of you are single. Some of you have husbands that work away. Some of you work in various um, professions. Some of you are married with too many kids. Some of you are married and you've just got just enough. You've got the right number. Some of you have got grandkids. Some of you have got people in your lives that uh, you care about so deeply but they're not walking with Jesus. And you might be able to sort of share with other people that are going through something similar. We are all uniquely positioned in that way and we all have a story to share. And so John shared his story. And so this becomes something really exciting. And, and finally, the third day, John basically sort of starts pointing to the actual guy. So he spent, he spent three days, or two and, two and a bit days, telling these guys about this one who's greater, this one who's coming, this one that I've seen that God has anointed. And then in verse 37 of John chapter 1, it says, The two disciples heard him say this and followed Jesus. Because John had basically pointed direction to him. It says, Oh, in verse 35, I'll go back a verse. And the next day, John was standing with two of his disciples when, and when he saw Jesus passing by, he said, look, the Lamb of God. Look, over there, that's the guy. That's the one. So John is actually kind of going, that's the guy that I've been pushing you towards the last couple of days. And then the two disciples heard him say this and followed Jesus. When Jesus turned and noticed them following him, he asked them, what are you looking for? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? And Jesus replied, come and you'll see. And so on the third day, John basically encouraged them to become a follower. This becomes really important because sometimes, um, if you've ever, who's ever done Christian Explained? So Christian Explained is like a six-week course which sort of goes step by step on what is a Christian, why become a Christian, who Jesus is. But at the end of that, you actually, the person you're saying, would you like to make that decision to be a follower of Christ and and to to put Jesus on the throne of your life? You actually ask that question. I remember the first time I ever did it, I was was with this guy and we couldn't meet every week. So it took us 12 weeks to go through. 
And so, because um, it was my first time doing it, I was sort of trying to follow it pretty much along with it as it said. And so I got to the week six, and which was week 12 in practicality, and I said, um, asking that question, would you like to become a Christian to put Jesus uh, on the throne of your life? He says, yeah, I was ready about week four, but I thought I had to wait till the end. And so sometimes we, we, yeah, we kind of go, well, I haven't said everything I need to say, so you have to wait till I'm ready to ask you to be a follower, to follow Jesus Christ. But, but again, we do need to ask those words. We do need to say, do you want to follow Jesus? Do you want to sort of know him in your life? Do you want to sort of follow his purpose for your life and, and all the things that he has for you? And that becomes the fifth step, which becomes so important because it's not just telling people about Jesus and saying, I hope you find him. It's not sort of living a light and sort of being, making people thirsty, saying, I hope you find a way to quench your thirst. It's actually making them thirsty, telling them about him, describing what he can do for them, and then telling them your story and encourage them to become a follower. Now, some of you are still at a point going, I can't do that. You're not going to say it out verbally. If I ask everyone who's going to go and bring a, a new, newly converted person back next Sunday, like some of you may feel guilted in to do it, but some of you are just going like, that's just not happening. It's not happening in my life. Again, it does take faith. It takes faith because you can do this. Because everyone that comes to Jesus Christ is called to be a disciple and every disciple of Christ is called to make disciples. It's, it's, there's, there's no other way of reading scripture other than that. And so, again, you might, sort of, you might be working on someone now that you've been working on for years. Fantastic. Keep going. Keep being faithful in that. You might have that person at work who you've gone, that God has actually sort of been sort of sticking the elbow in every now and again. Have you ever had that time when God spiritually sticks the elbow in or, or sticks his finger in your back saying, well, that's the person I meant. Oh, God, who should, I, who should I share my faith with? Who should I be building that relationship with? God sort of spiritually pushes you in that direction. No, God, I'm asking you, like, in reality, like, not like um, I, I'm thinking some sort of metaphorical person that I can sort of share and that I don't really have to do anything, God. Like, not, not that specific person because they won't listen to me. But God is actually saying, no, no, this is the one. This is the one I want you to share with. And if, this, is, this is the thing you need to realise. If God is pushing you in a certain direction, don't you think he's been pushing them too? Don't you think he's been preparing them too? Best conversation I ever had with someone who, and I was trying to leave a party, and someone said, I wish someone would tell me more about Jesus. You know, the first thing I did was look at my watch going, I want to go. I want to go. I was, I was only showing up for a little bit. I've already been here too long. I want to go and, and, and go do some other things. I'm going, God, was that question for me? Like, was that, was that someone else in this conversation who's going to take care of that? And so we talked and we talked and, we, and then we, we continued that conversation over a number of weeks. So sometimes God is doing more than you can see and so we've just got to step up and say, God, you've called me, I'm going to do it, and we've got to believe it. And, and, and again, it might be a seed that you are planting. And you might think, oh, nothing came of it. But some are called to plant, some are called to water, some are called to, to, to reap. But all of us are called to be a part of that process. Now, I just want to finish off by, by looking at um, how this finishes up. Because when we sort of we go through all those steps. I want to show you the outcome of that because we jump into um, a later part of the chapter and what we see is uh, picking up 
and verse 38 again. Uh, they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Come and you'll see. And he replied. So they went and they saw where he was staying and they stayed with him that day for it was about four in the afternoon. Now, do you know what? Again, this is one of those funny things of scripture. Jesus didn't own a house. Okay, so not his house. He's staying at someone else's house and he's invited strangers. How would you feel if you had someone staying at your house, they were a guest of yours, and they invited other people to stay as well? Jesus does it quite often. And so Jesus has done that. That's what's just happened. And so if you think like um, having Jesus in your home is going to always be not awkward, well, here's an awkward moment. Like, um, so strangers. Jesus has invited strangers to come and stay. Um, so about four in the afternoon. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who heard John and followed him. He first found his own brother, Simon, and told him, and we have found the Messiah, which translated the Christ, and he brought Simon to Jesus. Okay, so now Jesus is staying at someone else's place. He's invited strangers. But now the strangers are inviting their family. They're inviting their family to come and stay. So all of a sudden, this house is becoming very full. You must imagine the owner there saying, yeah, well, we want people to follow Jesus, so I'm going to put up with this. Now, when Jesus saw him, he said, you are Simon, son of John, you'll be called Cephas, which is translated Peter. The next day, Jesus um, decided to leave Galilee. He found Philip and told, told him, follow me. Now, Philip was from Bethsaida and, and the hometown of Andrew and Peter, so he saw Andrew and Peter following Jesus. Philip found Nathanael and told him, We have found the one Moses wrote about in the law, and so did the prophets, Jesus, son of Joseph from Nazareth. Nazareth sort of, um, then Nathanael sort of basically goes, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? It must be like Queensland, New South Wales kind of feeling. Like, um, can anything good come out of New, Z New South Wales? Um, if you're from New South Wales, I stick to my comment. No, no I'm kidding. Um, so... Um, but, but the thing is, so, so Nathaniel basically said, can anything good? And then come and see was Philip's answer. So, so far we've got Jesus. John has basically pushed um, his disciples on Jesus. So um, we, we see Andrew um, basically then go get Simon. Simon and Andrew are following Jesus the next day. They see Philip come and hop on, the, hop on board this train. We're going to follow him. We're going to be someone that follows after Jesus. Philip then goes, I've got a mate too. And he goes to Nathaniel who's just actually insulted Jesus' hometown, but like not a, probably the best thing to do, but he's, that's what he's done. And then Jesus saw Nathanael coming and toward him and said, Here truly is an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. So I'm not sure if Jesus was sort of sticking the finger in there a bit, so poking him. And how do you know me, Nathanael um, asked. Before Philip called you, you were under the fig tree and I saw you, Jesus answered. Now, again, I'm imagining Jesus actually sees in high def, but also hears in real clear audio. So that comment about Nazareth, Jesus heard that, and he saw, he saw Nathaniel's sort of facial expression. He saw all of that. And so I think Nathaniel went, oh, he saw and heard what I just said. Okay, oh, this, this is not good. But Jesus responded to him. Do you believe, because I told you I saw you under a fig tree, you will see greater things than this? And then he said, truly I will tell you, you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of... Uh, ascending and descending on the Son of Man. And that's the end of the, uh, the book of John. John is trying to show us two things here. First, everyone who was reached, reached one. Like in the matter of, John had been working on a couple of disciples for a few days. And again, our few days might be a few months. It might even be a couple of years. But we don't 
don't get it, we don't sort of sit out of that process. We get involved in that process. We jump into the mix. Everyone reach one. And second, if you introduce people to Jesus, he will take it from there. Basically, people started following them because they were following Jesus. They weren't following Peter. They weren't following Andrew. Like Nathaniel didn't follow sort of Nathaniel didn't follow um, um, Philip. Philip actually told him about this one he thought that was Messiah, and that's what got Nathaniel's attention. What we have got to do in this process, we've got to make sure that we are following Jesus. Invite others to follow him with us. Now, if we're following Jesus well, we will make them thirsty. We will actually tell about all the great things that God has done in our life and, and wants to do in their life. We will tell them our story and we will invite them to be a follower. Now, again, I really want you to get to the point where you would get to a place where you are so excited about the potential of one of your friends coming to know Jesus. Get to that point. I'm excited about maybe a brother or a sister or someone who doesn't know Jesus right now. I'm so excited about the potential for that that I cannot zip my lip. I can't not say something. And I'm going to live in a way that is going to draw and attract them to Jesus Christ. They're going to see me following after him. And through me, they're going to see Jesus Christ. That is before each one of us. It's before each one of us. And again, if we become a church that takes that on, where we are seeking to follow Jesus and to draw the people that we care about and then go out and make relationships with those so that we care about you and other people and we start to reach people that other people can't reach. There are people that are in your life that I will never talk to and never see and I'll never be able to even care about them unless you care enough about them to tell them about Jesus. We've got to get to that point where we believe that God can use us. Because that's, that's, we, are, we are God's answer to the world being reached. I know looking in the mirror, some of you are going, God, that's maybe not the best answer. You haven't picked pick the best crew. Well, he doesn't need the best crew. He just needs some people that are available. He needs people that are willing. We go back to the, the, the passage where he called the, the disciples, I will make you fishers of men. I'm going to shape you and create you and train you. You just follow me and I will make you. But the thing is, we've got to get into that place where we are wanting to see that happen in us and through us. And so today, I challenge you in two ways. Be the best follower of Jesus you can be. And secondly, call other people to come and follow with you through the way that you live and you speak about Jesus Christ. Can you do that? Okay. I'm not really confident on that one. They're like, oh, that church is burning there. Will you save me? I'm not really sure. Um, you've lived long enough, haven't you, Keith? Like, that was the kind of response I got. I was feeling no love there. Can you do Okay, so there's, there's some people that are, are on board, I can see. Um, I think this side's more on board than, than this side, so not that it's a competition, but it is. Um, like, do you believe you can go share with someone this week? 
Who has got a name on their mind already? Okay, over this side, start rubbing that head, sort of get it. Okay. Start praying for that. Okay, this would be my experience. When I've prayed that prayer, God, show me someone I can, I can, to share with. It's not usually one name. It's a number of names. And I sort of say, God, I said one. I was really clear on my prayer. And God goes, well, I'll just, just give you a few options and, and go follow that through. And then even then, I find that the more I, I am open to looking, the more opportunities come up. So change your perspective. Follow Jesus and in following him, see those people that you want to draw to Jesus as well. I'm going to wrap it up there. Lord, we, we want to thank you that, first of all, that someone called us to follow you. That someone was involved in that process. And, and we wouldn't be here without that. But Lord, again, you are really clear that you are calling others to, um, to know you. And you want to use us in that process. And so, Lord, help us to not fight against you in this. Help us to, to not be in a battle of saying yes, but at least get us a place where we are willing to be used by you. We are willing to, to um, sort of make people thirsty by, by the way that we live and, and, and what you've done in our lives. And, and we can give testimony to, to who you are and to what you have done for us. But, Lord, I do pray we get to that point. I pray that everyone here has the opportunity this year to invite people to be a follower of Jesus Christ. Oh, wouldn't it be great that if everyone this year had an opportunity to lead someone to Jesus Christ. And so, Lord, do what you've got to do. I, I don't have the words, Lord. Do what you've got to do right now to help us be ready for that. And so, Lord, because we want to see you elevated in our life. We want to see you high in, in our country, in our city, in our church. And we pray this in your name. Amen.